Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Grantham Church. Great to see you all in worship on this fall, fall kickoff Sunday. It's good to be in worship with you. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time before we get into the sermon. I just want to remind you that this this part of the service is not a lecture. It is not to fill our heads with information and to sort of massage the mind and to fill it up. This is so we can create a space with, from within the Scriptures and the context of the Scriptures, which we believe are inspired and authoritative, to meet God. Let's meet God together. Amen. Father, we come to you and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us through the Scriptures. We pray, Lord, that we would encounter the person of Jesus, who is our Lord and our Master. Holy Spirit, show us that what you inspired so many years ago is still inspiring today and is motivating us to join you in your mission. Lord, we are your servants, and we are listening. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, it's quite clear that millions of Americans are lonely. Lonely, lacking in purpose, searching for meaning, and looking for a place to belong. As a result, we often try to discover our identity and find fulfillment in all kinds of things that ultimately leave us empty, Uh, Then our idols, our anxieties and fears and frustrations fuel the breakdown of American society and culture. And when you think about what I just said there, I think this is accurate. And this is essentially what David Brooks says in his recent article that he wrote for The Atlantic. The article is entitled, How America Got Mean. And he cites alarming statistics related to loneliness, anxiety, and depression. And he asks two primary questions here. Why are Americans so sad? And why are Americans so mean? And some examples that he gives, and I don't think, I think this isn't going to be shocking to you. You'll be like, yep, I've seen that. Maybe you've even done it. I don't know. But examples of meanness. So the kinds of things you see in restaurants and the way that customers treat the waiters and waitresses. The, the kind of behavior you see in hospitals where nurses are even attacked and doctors attacked, even killed. Rise in hate crimes and murders and gun sales are up and shootings are up, mass shootings, of course, increasing every year. He also points out that social trust is plummeting. Giving to charities is down. Selfishness, narcissism is on the rise. At this point, you're wondering, why did I come to church today? Good question, because this isn't the end of the story, is it? And we come into this sanctuary to be reminded 
of the narrative that we've been called to live into. And so when we read an article like Brooks's article, we need to read it through the lenses of the gospel. The social observers give explanations to explain this rise in hatred, anxiety, and despair. A few different things that they say about it. One, social media hasn't helped. Uh, we also have stopped participating in community organizations like the church that teaches us to be selfless, to think of others, to love God, to love our neighbor. Our country, he says, is growing increasingly diverse, and so particularly white folks and white patriarchy are nervous by this and wanting to grasp for control and power. That, that has some to do with it. All of these have some to do with it. And of course, economic troubles is also fueling this hatred, anxiety, and despair. But Brooks thinks that there's a bigger problem, and that is a culture devoid of moral education and shared values. That is, knowing the difference between right and wrong and agreeing on what truth is and what it isn't. So this moral vacuum has created a crisis of identity and of purpose and of meaning. So what is filling the void for identity, purpose, and meaning? He says that it is politics and tribalism. Would you agree with that? That's, that's pretty dead on. That's, that's spot on. We're seeing that all over the place. And Brooks writes this in the article. He says, The Manichaean tribalism of politics appears to give people a sense of belonging. For many years, America seemed to be awash in a culture of hyper-individualism. So we kind of ran with that for a while. And we're missing the communal aspect. And so where do people get that community? Brooks says these days people are quick to identify themselves by their group. Republican, Democrat, Evangelical, person of color, LGBTQ, Southerner, Patriot, Progressive, Conservative, and so on. Brooks says people who feel isolated and under threat flee to totalizing identities. I think that's a pretty accurate assessment of what's going on. And I cannot stress enough how similar our time is to the time of Jesus in the first century. And so there's good news for us this morning, folks. There is a way out of this mess. Truly, we've actually seen something like what we're experiencing before. And God has already revealed to us through Jesus what he is doing about it and what he wants us to do about it. You could say it's God's answer to our loneliness and our desire for purpose and search for identity and meaning and our need for moral and spiritual formation. It's his answer to our longings for peace, justice, and belonging. And it's a project that began 2,000 years ago. Jesus called it his church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said to his disciples, I will build my church. The, the Greek word there is ekklesia, and it literally means called out ones. It's used 114 times in the New Testament, and in the Greco-Roman world of the New Testament, it was a formal assembly in a religio-political context that made decisions for the city. And so this was an actual thing that existed, a civic thing that existed, in Greco-Roman life. And Jesus is saying, I want one of those for my kingdom. There should be an ecclesia everywhere people gather in community. 
right? Think about this. In the, uh, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, as well as the New Testament, ecclesia is the assembly or the gathering of God's people, the Lord's chosen vessel for embodying His gospel mission. And the Scriptures tell us that this was God's eternal purpose. Paul, the Apostle Paul uses that phrase, God's eternal purpose. Right before time, God had this plan in mind from the very beginning. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 from the voice translation. It says, here's his objective, God's objective. Through the church, he intends now to make known his infinite and boundless wisdom to all rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. This has been his plan from the beginning, one that he has now accomplished through the anointed one, Jesus our Lord. And already you're thinking, but the church is in such a mess. Well, first, let's be specific. The church in the West is a mess. And God right now is sifting the church in the West, and I think that sifting will continue for a few years. I hope that in my lifetime, as I'm sure some of you also feel this way, you will get to see the, the other side of that, but that's where we're at right now. And by sifting, we mean to sift those who are of Christ and who are not. Those who actually are with Jesus and those who claim the name of Jesus but don't actually follow Jesus. Are you with me? This is what I think is happening. So we can think back, and it's not idealistic. Uh, this is, the, again, the eternal purpose of God. This is what God wants with the church. And when the church is following Jesus, the church is every bit of what Paul is talking about. So don't miss this. Paul tells us that the Lord has called forth his church, his family, to be his chosen vessel of bringing salvation to the earth. As followers of the Messiah, we are the vehicle by which God wants to bring light, right, and love into the world, to bring order where there's chaos, to bring purpose, identity, and meaning where there is none. But it will require that we set aside all other loyalties and tribal allegiances and, and fighting the culture wars and all that comes with that to accept the eternal purpose and the plan of Jesus through the local church, which always, always looks like Jesus. Of course, there is this universal, this, uh, as we say in the Apostles' Creed, holy Catholic, that is universal church, and we confess that, right? But the New Testament shows us that God's eternal purpose, His grand vision for the church, must be lived out and can only be lived out locally. The church is made up of churches, right? Big C is made up of little c churches in every place where people gather in community to live, work, shop, and play. So every little c church in our community who believes in the God who looks like Jesus and proclaims the gospel is on our side, is on our team, and really is on the side of the Lord. Let's be specific. So we're together in this. We're not competing with each other. We're not trying to outdo one another. We all have different things that we can bring, our distinctives, uh, and, and, and the things that are our strengths that God has worked out in us, but we all need each other. We're to be a witness on behalf of Christ and the gospel, showing a watching world that Jesus is the answer that people are looking for. And his church is a city on a hill, Jesus said. That's not America. That's Jesus. Jesus said the city on the hill is the church. It's the church. And we're meant to embody a new way to be human. Right in the midst of the present evil age, 
right in the midst of broken community, of tribalism, and all this junk we see going on in the world, the church is supposed to be the bright spot. The church is supposed to be a signpost saying this is where God's taking the world. And so whether we, we love like Jesus or not is going to make all the difference between whether we're true to what Jesus has called the church to do or not. That's the way the first century church saw it. That's what they were doing amidst an empire that was falling down all around them. I want that to be encouraging and hopeful to us this morning because when you think about how tumultuous the first century was in the time of Jesus and that that was the moment in history that God did something new, brought about the Messiah, birthed the church. Well, folks, we are poised for something exciting in our own day. We have to believe it. Not all the doom and gloom, but have hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ that this is, the kind of, this is the kind of situation that God can do what it is hard for us to believe he can do. But if we'll have faith, he'll do it. So let's think about this. Let's think about it. Based on our knowledge of the New Testament history of what early, early house church looked like, we think it would have looked something like this. So get this picture. This is a portrait of an early church in, let's say, Rome. We know that they met in larger houses and and uh, that they probably had about a max of 30 people. So we could say this was a, a personal and a social space within the early church. There were men and women who Paul said in Galatians 3.28, right, are all on the level playing field. Roman citizens, non-citizens, single people, married people, divorced people, widows, Jews and Gentiles, people from different political and religious and moral backgrounds, views ranging from the strange to the offensive. I mean, this is... This is what Jesus started his church with to begin with. Just think about his 12 disciples. I mean, you got folks who are uh, tax collectors, hated by all the Jews because they're, they're treasonous. They've, they've, um, they've joined up with their oppressors, right? And then you've got Jesus also calling in those 12 zealots, people who want to kill the tax collectors. And that, that's, a, you, yeah, you, you think that the bridge between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton was wide. This is wider. This is wider. And Jesus says, I want you to stop what you're doing, and I want you to follow me. I want you to allow me to teach you what God is like and what the kingdom is like. And imagine a third way. So in this early church, there are various ethnicities, different customs, different traditions. Imagine what their worship was like. <laughs> All the preferences that we bring to church, and we trip up over those a lot of times. We can't worship Jesus because we need enough organ, or we need enough electric guitar, or whatever. If we don't have it, we'll go somewhere else. If, if we don't transcend this way of thinking, folks, the world's never going to see what the church is all about. And that's just a sampling of it. There were freed slaves, slaves who had no legal rights, and all were told they were one in Jesus, setting a trajectory for freedom down through the generations that eventually would lead abolition movements. This is, this is what is happening in the New Testament. Folks that are from elite classes down to the poor and the homeless. And they were all called together around one table to be one family. Do you see the eternal purpose vision of God? You say, well, that's just not possible. In our own strength, it is not. But with the Holy Spirit, it is. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross, it is. It is. 
Hopefully we can see this great grand vision, something that's a God thing, no doubt, if we will submit to the Holy Spirit. It's so important if we're going to follow Christ and if we're going to live in Christian community, if we're going to prioritize the life of the church, we've got to listen to what New Testament scholar Scott McKnight says, his book, Fellowship of Difference. He says, getting the church right is so important, right? The church is God's world-changing social experiment of bringing unlikes and differences to the table to share life with one another as a new kind of family. And when this happens, we show the world what love and justice, peace, reconciliation, and life together are designed by God to be. The church is God's show and tell for the world to see how God wants us to live as a family. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that? And maybe you're sometimes like me, because I feel this. I've been drowning in cynicism. But just, again, take a step back and remember the time in which we live. We will not always be here. And whatever sifting is going on needs to happen for the glory of God in the gospel. But you got to decide, are you with Jesus or not? Can, can, you, can you imagine with a kingdom imagination what the church can be like? And remember, we are the church. If we don't like something and it doesn't look like Jesus, it's up to us to change it. Amen? And we can do it. Brothers and sisters, until we come to Christ and enter into the life of the church, listen to what the New Testament is saying. We are, from a biblical perspective, homeless. This is what you look around and what, what Brooks is reporting on here is a lot of homelessness with people. Don't know who they are, don't know meaning, don't know purpose, don't have a value system, they're lost. You might have a nice house, you might have family and friends, you may take comfort in the nation that you're born into and the color of your skin and your culture, your social status. You may find meaning and purpose through your political party and any number of groupings the world has to offer. But the scripture says that you're really homeless and not part of God's divine program of bringing heaven to earth, not until you've joined the ecclesia of God. Not until you've committed to sharing life together with other disciples who are seeking to strategically impact the community and the lost around us with the gospel of Christ. Amen. This is, the, this is where it's at, folks. It's where it's at. So, we've got to allow our worldview and passions to be shaped by Christ in the New Testament. Uh, the early Christians understood that to receive Christ, to join his church, was like coming home. It was like coming home where the God who looks like Jesus is worshipped. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote this in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. He said, listen, you're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers and outsiders. You're no longer this. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. And then Paul goes on. He said he used the apostles and the prophets, right, the first, for the foundation, and now he's using you. He's fitting you in, brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. 
We see it taking shape day after day, Paul said, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. And look at this stone mason metaphor that Paul uses, that like Christ is chis- chiseling us. Each of us are stone, and he's chiseling the edges off of us. That doesn't look like Christ. That way of thinking doesn't look like Christ. That way of talking to your neighbor doesn't look like Christ. That way of tribalism and politics or whatever it is. We come to this church and we allow the Lord to chisel us into the image of Jesus to fit the gospel of the kingdom. It's a beautiful, beautiful metaphor. The apostle Peter used similar language when he wrote this. Some of you will be familiar with this. First Peter chapter two, verse four and five. He said, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You say, how are we being built into a spiritual house? Well, it's through relationships. It's, it's in community. It's the only way for that to happen. Not by staring at the back of somebody's head on Sunday morning. <laughs> right? Okay, community doesn't happen that way. If you're just doing that, it's hard, to, it's hard to be in real relationship and community. If you're watching from home this morning, We're glad that you can do that. But if you're able to be here with us, I want to lovingly remind you that this isn't something you can do, live into the eternal purpose of God by sitting on your couch at home. It's being with the people of God. It's entering into the mess of relationships. It's being brave enough to step into a classroom you've never been into before, to meet new people. It requires us, yes, to stretch, maybe sacrifice a little, but in the end it's worth it. So I, I have to say that, right? We can't simply passively receive and consume like the culture wants us to do if we're going to encounter Jesus, if we're going to die to self, if we're going to experience some new spiritual realities and come to experience God in a new way. For the church to be what the Lord desires, we've got to remain committed to embodied worship, fellowship, and discipleship. We've got to practice incarnational ministry. We've got to use our crayons. Amen. We got to use our crayons. Think about this. Real Christian community isn't even possible without us being in close proximity to each other and being committed to walking with other disciples as we follow Christ. We've used this image here at Grantham quite a bit. We call it the spaces and working the spaces, the intimate space, the personal space, the social space. Right now we're in a public space, but you'll notice when Jesus preached in public spaces, he called people to come closer to him into the social, into the personal, and into the intimate. You know, Jesus had a small group, right? Jesus had a personal space of disciples, but he also had Peter, James, and John, his intimate space. This is a model that Jesus gives us, and he calls us to live into it. This is the process of discipleship. Jesus lived and ministered to disciples in these spaces, and we have various ministries and opportunities for you to enter these spaces at Grantham, and I hope you'll consider getting involved there. You have the URL to check out what we're doing, how you can intentionally enter the spaces. So the New Testament is, it uses this building metaphor to describe the growth and work of the church, but the Apostle Paul also uses another metaphor. He likes He likes metaphors. He likes to mix his metaphors. And he describes the life of the church as a body. But not just anybody, the body of Christ. If you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12 and listen to the language of belonging that Paul uses to the church of Corinth. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning of verse 12. 
I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Paul writes to them, a church that was just um, being torn apart through divisions and differences. Imagine this is still a fairly new Gentile church, new to the gospel of Jesus, trying to live into the way of Jesus. It's a messy congregation. And Paul's gotten to the point where he says, you shouldn't be divided amongst yourselves. You've been squabbling over the way that you worship and being, being chaotic in your worship. And he, and he says, you need to remember that you're part of the body of Christ. Verse 12, he says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit. Right, I told you, it's only by the spirit that this is made possible. And because of that, we share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many parts. Now you're thinking about your own body, right? It has many parts. Head, toes, knees, ankles, feet. Yes, but if a foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. If the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? Paul's saying there's different people, there are different functions, different gifts, but we all need each other. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. Paul said, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Welcome to the kingdom of God, folks. This is the economy of the kingdom. The people that you think are the weakest part of the body are actually the most necessary, Paul says. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we we clothe with greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. We're all at a different place in our journey. I think that's what Paul is saying. While while the most honorable parts, they, they require special care. God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. Listen to this. Paul said, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body. Each of you is a part of it. Oh, church, listen. Listen to what Paul is saying about the kind of community that God in Christ is creating. Richard B. Hayes, a New Testament scholar and ethicist at Duke University, reminds us that Paul is actually using a well-known metaphor for his day. But normally, you see, the body metaphor was used by the elite. Listen to this. To remind the subordinate class, right, the people of lesser status, to stay in their place within the social order. But Paul uses the body image to argue for diversity in the body. Men, women, rich, poor, leadership gifts that are up front, leadership gifts that are behind the scenes, and so forth. For each member to respect each other, see the need for each other, and relate to each other as equals in the faith. Do you see how upside down this kingdom is? Do you see how subversive this is? Can you imagine how the world would be impacted if the church embodied it? This is the eternal purpose. All gifts are needed. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, and this is made possible 
by the Holy Spirit. But we have to show up. We have to be engaged. We have to enter into all of the spaces. Or we can't be a part of this building that God is creating where we're living stones being fashioned and fitted together. So let's sum up what Paul is saying and the rest of the New Testament for that matter is saying about the body of Christ. He says we're being baptized by one spirit. This is our new identity. Our identity in Christ but baptized by one spirit to form one body. And in that we find our meaning. We find our purpose. And number two, like the parts of our body we're all different but we need each other to know Christ to grow as disciples, to be on mission. And three, we're all functioning together. We're not being idle. Right? I mean, what would, it, what would it be like if you woke up one morning, some of you may have even experienced this, and your arm's not functioning? Or your leg's not working? What is it like for a church when we have members who aren't functioning? So we have to think about this. This metaphor is very, very powerful. Number four, everything we say and do ought to come from love. If you look at the next chapter to the church at Corinth, Paul talks about love. And let's be honest, he didn't write this for weddings. It's often read at weddings, and that's fine. It's a great definition of love. It's a powerful definition of love. But this is written in the context of the church trying to be the church. This is what it takes for us to live into what Christ has called us to be and to do. And of course, lastly, we're committed and covenanted to one another. This has really been lost on our society and culture This isn't a contract that we've signed. This is a covenant that we've entered into together. In this covenant with each other in the body of Christ, we actually include ourselves. Listen to what I'm saying. We include ourselves as we follow Jesus together. Here's another image that we use at Grantham to convey what we've called the centered set church. The centered set church. This is self-inclusion by orienting our hearts toward Christ. You know who's following Jesus by the orientation of their heart. Are you moving toward Christ with the church or are you moving away? And news, news to us all, you, you can't stand still. You're either moving toward Christ or you're drifting away. And I want you to think about that. So when we're not uh, participating and engaging in spiritual disciplines, right? We're, we're, as if Christ were here, we're drifting, we're drifting away from Jesus, Right? If, if we're not engaging in, in the church and we're being idle in the church, we're drifting away from the center. We're not including ourselves in what God wants to do in the building of his church. But when, we're, when we are doing those things, we move toward the center. When we take our crayons and we use them, we're moving toward the center. This is what it means, part of what it means anyway, to be a centered set church. And you can look around and you can see who's pursuing The center, who's with us in the body of Christ. In the book of Acts, we see that the first Christians were moving toward Christ, and the life and power that they experienced together was transforming their identity, transforming their meaning, their purpose, the way they lived in community. Take, for example, the summary paragraph of the early church's growth in Acts 2. Look at Acts 2, verse 42 through 47. Luke tells us, he said, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? Which would, of course, included the scriptures. It would have included the teachings of Jesus. They devoted themselves to it. There's lots of ways, of course, to engage with the scriptures, devotionally, but also the way we're doing here. What is God saying to us in the scriptures? 
How do we need to live in light of the Scriptures? Like the Bereans did. They would get together as a community and discern what is the Lord's voice in this matter. So they devoted themselves to this, to the fellowship, to the sharing in meals. So nobody went hungry, including the sharing of the Lord's Supper, this table where everyone is equal into prayer. It says, Luke tells us, verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. The NIV says they had everything in common. I'll come back to that. They had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions. They shared the money with those in need. Folks, what happened here? Jesus got a hold of them. (laughs) Jesus became their, their, their central focus. He became the center. He became their passion. Their identity, their meaning, their purpose. And it says, all this, all this, they shared meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of the people. Each day the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being saved. Remember there, as I said in verse 44, the text says, and they had everything in common. Uh, Yale Divinity Professor Willie James Jennings says this about what is happening here in Acts 2. He says, the space of this common was where life stories, life projects, plans, and purposes were being intercepted by a new orientation. This common is created by the Spirit. How could the things that they held dear not be drawn toward the common? This gathering, this new gathering, this ecclesia, time, talent, and treasures, those crayons... (laughs) The, the, the trinity of possessions we know so well would fill the pool of this holy vortex. Oh, I, I love that. I love how he says that. And then Jennings goes on in his commentary. He says, a new kind of giving is exposed at this moment here in Acts 2. One that binds bodies together is the first reciprocal donation where the followers will give themselves to one another. The possessions will follow. He says, what was at stake here was not the giving up of all possessions, but the giving up of each one, of each person. One by one as the Spirit gave direction and as the ministry of Jesus would demand. He says, thus anything they had that might be used to bring people into the sight and the sound of the incarnate life, anything that they had that might be used to draw people to life together and life itself and away from death and in the reign of poverty, hunger, and despair. Such things were subject to being given to God. He said, lastly, the giving is for the sole purpose of announcing the reign of the Father's love through the Son in the bonds of communion together with the Spirit. So good, so good. This should look familiar to you. We've said this at Grantham. The purpose of the gathered church. The reason we are here this morning, folks, is for worship, community, and discipleship. We gather together so that we might be equipped, inspired, and empowered to be the missional sent church of the Lord in the world. This is what we are here for. This is who we're called to be. This is what it means to be God's people. My friends, do you see the church this way? Is this how you see the church? Do you see that what we're doing at Grantham is ultimately for those outside our fellowship who don't know Jesus? Do you see your job? Do you see your neighborhood, your hobbies, your trip to the store 
is an opportunity to live out the gospel. Remember what Teresa of Avila said. She said, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands and no feet now but yours. Church, we are the body of Christ. To each other, for each other, to be a vessel and conduit of God's love, mercy, and grace to our neighbors. And this work isn't just critical for our own spiritual and moral formation, getting back to what Brooks was talking about in his article, and for ensuring a healthy church body at Grantham. That's important. But it's also vital for blessing the world around us and fulfilling the Great Commission. Lord knows that if we were doing more of that, the culture would have something different to say about the church in America. This is why the author of Hebrews reminds us why regular connection, participation, and engagement with the body of Christ is so important. Some of you will recognize these words. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25 says, Let us hold strong to the confession of our hope, never wavering, since the one Jesus who promised it is faithful. Let us consider how to inspire each other to greater love and to righteous deeds, not forgetting to gather as a community, as some have forgotten, but encouraging each other, especially as the day of his return approaches. And finally, let's reflect on what we've heard, what the Lord is saying to us in this message, what the Spirit is speaking and how the Lord would have us respond this morning as we enter a new season of ministry at Grantham. Number one, can you see how the body of Christ, the church, is used by God to change us and to bless the world? I hope that you can see that because it's, it's really important. So many people don't get what the church is for and what the church is about, but this is it. This is what the New Testament teaches. That we're to enter into those spaces Right, with other disciples on the journey with Jesus, and that through it not only are we transformed, but we bless the world around us. We bless our community. Number two, will you, will you recommit to working the spaces and pursuing the center with our congregation? You may just ask the Lord, what, what does that look like? Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to engage those spaces? How can I be more intentional in pursuing the center? And lastly, number three, how is the Spirit inviting you to belong to the body of Christ this fall? Maybe it looks like learning, participating in some way, giving, maybe committing for the first time. I was in a conversation with someone not long ago that uh, tithing was, was a fairly new thing for them to give regularly of their income to the church and to the ministries of the church. But they did it, and it was amazing to see how God worked in their life through it, blessing them, because giving is a spiritual discipline, and it says to the Lord, we trust you, God. We're committed to the mission. We're committed to the kingdom. We're all in. Or maybe it's through serving and volunteering some way in the church. There are lots of ways for you to do that, and we talk about these things a lot in our weekly email. What is God saying to you? How is God inviting you to be more intentional in being a living stone? I hope that you'll listen to the voice of the Lord this morning. I pray that when you hear the voice of the Lord, that you won't wait, but that you will act. And just trust 
that on the other side of what may seem a little scary now is blessing. Not only blessing to you, but blessing to the body of Christ and blessing to our community in which he has placed us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are listening to the voice of the Spirit now. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Help us to connect the dots to what needs to be connected. Help us to rethink our cynicism. Help us to back up and to see the moment in which we live. It won't be this way forever. Help us to see that you're sifting the church. Help us to decide where we're going to be with you in the church or not. Help us, Lord, to know how we can be blessed to be a blessing. Lord, help us to know how we can use our crayons today. Lord, we know that you love us, and we love you too. Speak now for your servants who are listening. And all God's people said, amen.